0: with me as I read to you Matthew, or Luke rather, chapter 19 verses 28 to 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? you shall say this The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. I would ask you this morning, what does it mean to live under a king? This was a question asked recently of me. And and I couldn't really give an answer because I don't know what it means to live under a king. And, And in fact, the person who asked me said that he had been asked this question recently and he didn't know what it had been like to live under a king. We don't know. One of the things we do know is that that Matthew presents for us Jesus as our sovereign king. And so that is why, starting the week after Easter, I'll be preaching through the book of Matthew. But most of us don't, don't know what it's like to live under a king. Most of us probably don't even know what it's like to see a coronation. Probably the most familiar monarch to us would be Queen Elizabeth, of England, she was crowned queen on June 2nd, 1953. She was queened uh, 12, or she was crowned rather, 12 months after the death of her father, because the planning of her coronation took 14 months. 20 million viewers watched as 750 commentators broadcast the event in 39 languages. Her processional, which was two miles long, took 45 minutes to pass by any one given point on the route. 29,000 service personnel marched, while another 8,000 lined the five-mile route. During the processional, she wore a crown made for King George IV's coronation in 1821. It contains over 12,000 diamonds and 200 pearls. She was, at her coronation, given a scepter that was made in 1661. However, the scepter was rebuilt after the Cullinan diamond was found in South Africa in 1905. This scepter now sports the Cullinan I diamond weighing in at 530 carats. That's 1.3 pounds. After the ceremony, she emerged with her husband on the balcony of Buckingham Palace wearing the imperial state crown. This crown contains a measly 2,876 diamonds, 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, 269 pearls, and 4 rubies. The centerpiece of this crown is Cullinan II, coming in behind its Sister diamond at only 317.4 carats. All of this is to display the tremendous power and responsibility that is handed to a monarch at their coronation. And then there is Jesus, who at his coronation rides in on a donkey as we were told he would the eternal god the creator of heaven and earth we're told in zechariah 99 9, rejoice greatly o daughter of zion da- a daughter by the way when you read daughters of of a city in, in scripture, it was the people who lived outside and around the city. That's what the daughters of a city were. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. And this is where this verse gets really, really weird. Because if you were handed this kind of authority and power not over the kingdom of England, but over everything that has ever been created, what would your coronation look like? Here's how Jesus' coronation is described for us. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What we see here in Luke chapter 19 is the modern-day equivalent of a coronation. It is the welcoming of a king. This is the traditional uh, reception of a conquering king. After a king had gone out to war and conquered his enemies, he would come back, often riding a white horse, sometimes often... Carrying a quiver, which was for bows that would be empty. The picture being that those arrows had been spent and the war was over. This is the imagery we find of Jesus in Revelation, by the way. And and, and this this king would return on a white horse. And and in the path of the king would be spread not just palm fronds, but coats. Coats. As we see here, people were taking off their coats. This was a symbolic action. It was a symbolic placing of oneself under the feet of the king. It was the fundamental statement that, that I am under your rule. I am under your authority. And so palm branches and coats would be laid out on the ground. This is the uh, th- this type of reception is recorded for us uh, in, in many places in Scripture, and, and the, uh, or not in Scripture, in history, that is. We see that, uh, that, that there are many times when welcoming kings were or conquering kings were welcomed back, not only necessarily in Israel, but all around the world in this way. And this was a nation that was used to oppression. If you know your Old Testament history very well, The cycle of judges is of the nation of Israel being conquered uh, by people whom God sent to conquer them for their disobedience over and over and over. Uh, Under Solomon's rule, the kingdom was split in two, and after a a period of time, the northern uh, kingdom of Israel was taken captivity into Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah was taken captivity by Babylon. Babylon's rule was transferred to the Medes, the Medes rule was transferred to the Persians, the Persians rule was transferred to the Greeks, the Greeks rule was transferred to Rome. These people knew what it was like to live under the rule of, in their mind, the wrong people, under the rule of those who weren't supposed to be ruling, and the context here for Jesus' triumphal entry is once again oppression. Rome is in control. Rome is ruling the people of Israel and they desperately want to be set free from this Roman rule. And so Jesus coming to them as their king This miracle worker who had raised Lazarus from the dead and virtually eliminated sickness from much of the country is coming in and the people welcome him. This is his coronation. This is their declaration that he is the king. But something is off here. He's not being welcomed in as he rides a white horse or stands in a golden chariot. This king has no home. This king is, is being sought to be overthrown by the people wh- whom he came to save. This king is riding in on a donkey that doesn't even belong to him. It had to be borrowed. And We're told that he's, he's humble. But Make no mistake, Jesus is the king. He's not just the king, he is the king of kings. He is a king like the world has never seen. And his the type of king that he is is on display for us to see here he is to them and maybe even to us a bit of an unexpected king but he is a king nonetheless and so i want to see today three signs that reveal to us that jesus is the divine king not an earthly king not a typical human king but that he is the divine king that he is god number one we see in here that Jesus had divine knowledge, divine knowledge. He tells his disciples as they're headed up to Jerusalem, everything was up uh, in regards to Jerusalem, to the, the, the Jewish thinker, because of its elevation, not because it's north of everything. But it's a high place, in, in Israel. And so every way you approach Jerusalem, you must head uphill. They're east of Jerusalem, heading towards Bethany, which is to the southeast of, of Jerusalem. And, and as you approach Jerusalem from that direction, you would come up the Mount of Olives and then down the other side. And so this is the direction from which they're approaching. But as they're on their way, Jesus says, go into the town in front of you. And there you will find a colt that no one has ever sat on. That's interesting to me. Anybody ever sat on a horse that's never been ridden before? Or even a donkey? It usually doesn't go well. Could I charge possibly to us that maybe a little bit like Balaam, this donkey knew? Not intellectually. I'm not saying this donkey thought about it. But this donkey is bearing its creator. And so they say, You will find Jesus tells them, you'll find a colt tied up that no one has ever ridden on. And when the owner asks you, Why are you taking my donkey? You simply say the Lord has need of it. And they do this, and the the donkey is given to them. We get a glimpse here, even though even though Jesus limited His divine attributes. He didn't lose them. He just didn't exercise them in his humanity. We get a glimpse into his omniscience, into the fact that he knows everything as he is able to tell them what they will find and how to procure this donkey for the coming events. So first we see that Jesus had divine knowledge. Secondly, in verses 36 through 38, we see that Jesus receives divine worship. Jesus receives divine worship. As I've mentioned already, throwing their coats on the ground is a symbolic act of placing oneself under the authority, under the feet of the king. This was an eager submission. They were excited to to submit themselves to this king. And they cried out, as we're told in Matthew 21, 9, though it's not recorded for us in Luke, that they cried out, Hosanna. Hosanna. Matthew one nine says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a combination of two Hebrew words. Yasha, which means beg, or, or, or rather save. Uh, yasha means to save, and anah, which means to beg. Literally, they're saying, we beg you to save us. Save now, O Son of David, O one from the line of David, one who has right to the throne, who has come in the name of the Lord. We beg you to save. Deliver us. Save now, O King. And what did they then cry out, as we see in Luke nineteen thirty-eight, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. One of the things we see as we read the Gospels is that when Jesus says, I'm the Messiah or the King, they say, that's exciting. And when he says, I'm God, they say, no, you're not. Their expectations here of who he would be are off, but Jesus understands what is being done here. Blessed is the King, they cry. I don't think their expectations were right, but they see that this King is coming to bring... Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace on earth was announced at his birth. And the week before his death, peace in heaven was announced. This is the king. Not just a temporal king, not an earthly king. This is the king of kings, the prince of heaven. Who welcomes the worship that is offered to him from some. And thirdly, we see that Jesus issues divine worship or divine judgment. This worship did not please everyone. The Pharisees, verse 39, uh, in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples, correct them, stop them. This is unacceptable." And he answers, "I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out." The word cry out here is a very strong word in Greek. It is not a it is not a cry of praise. It's quite the opposite. It's a cry of agony or, or a cry of, of judgment. The Pharisees don't like what's going on, so they tell his disciples to knock it off. But Jesus says the stones would even cry out. Two things we need to understand about this. Number one, I think Jesus has the stones of the city in mind. In our thinking, we think, oh, oh, look, there's, there's stones in the forest, and there's stones in the desert, and, and these stones are declaring the glory of God. And certainly that's true. But I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. Remember, he has crested the mount called Olivet, and he is entering into Jerusalem, and you can see the temple and the walls. This would be the same place the disciples stopped and said, hey, Jesus, check this place out. Look at the stones in this place. I think maybe Jesus more likely had Habakkuk 2 11 and 12 in mind which says for the stones will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity this is not a cry of praise this is a cry of judgment why because the Pharisees are rejecting the king and so would the rest of the crowd within five days they would reject him to death And so Jesus shows us that he has divine knowledge. Jesus shows us that he's willing to receive the praise that is due only to divinity. And he shows us that he has the authority to issue divine judgment. The cry here is that if the crowd was silent, judgment on their sin would still come. Rebuke your your disciples. Stop them. And he says, well, even if I stop them... Your judgment is still coming. They wanted a king. Just not the king he was. They wanted a king to set them free from Rome. Not a king who would set them free from sin. And here Jesus is putting on display for us that he's not just a king. He's the king. And he's not just the king. He's the king of kings. And they missed it. And within five days, they would arrest him illegally. It was illegal to arrest somebody at night. They would try him illegally. It's illegally in the law also to try somebody at night. And it was the high priest who did so. And they would condemn him to death. Why? Because as the king, he didn't give them what they wanted. They had all these expectations for him. Came to give give them something far better than they could imagine, but it was not what they wanted. And so as they welcome him on Palm Sunday as the conquering king, when Rome was not routed immediately, they shouted, Crucify Him. Hanukkah, festival of lights. What does it celebrate? It celebrates the lighting of lamps in the temple that burned for eight days when they should have burned for one after the Jews revolted against the Greeks. Hanukkah is a celebration of political freedom. They wanted another political Messiah. But Jesus didn't come to give them political freedom. He came to give them eternal life. He came to bring not just peace on earth, but really peace in heaven. Peace between those who who would kill him, which is you and me, by the way, that's our sin, and God. But he didn't give them what they wanted. And so within a week, they cried out, crucify him. Can I charge to you that we all do this? If you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, we would all say, yes, I know Jesus is the king, but we are all tempted to ask him to build other kingdoms. Maybe we want him to build the kingdom of our family. And the church and the things that God commands of us, they're only optional so long as they serve my family. What about the kingdom of work? Does Jesus exist to make you successful? Where do your priorities fall? When your work asks you to work on a Sunday morning or on a holiday, what about prosperity? Maybe Jesus, yes, he exists to to save me from my sin, but, but in the end, I should be healthy, wealthy, and happy, right? What about politics? What about like Israel? We expect the king to provide for us the political freedom we want. Do you see a victory for your politician as a victory for the kingdom? Our king doesn't need help. And by the way, when our king comes to reign, it will not be a democracy, it will be a benevolent dictatorship. What about a social kingdom? Does Jesus exist to set people free from oppression and racism? Here's the really interesting thing about all of these. Jesus is willing to give them all. Maybe just not in this life. But in the next, when he is our benevolent king, our families will be absorbed into the entirety of his family. There will be work to do throughout eternity. It just won't be work that that is, is subject to the effects of the curse. In eternity, there will be no need to worry about prosperity. As he did for Adam and Eve in the garden, he will provide for us abundantly. There will be no need to worry about politics because our dictator will be a sinless dictator who is humble, who rides on a donkey, who seeks to give up his life that we might gain ours. There will be no oppression or racism or sadness. The problem happens not when we desire these things, but when we desire them first. Because they're all a product, a byproduct, rather, of the rule of our beneficent king. Listen to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that's a euphemism for those who don't seek after God. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the king who's humble, who rides on a donkey, who willingly gives up his life so that you can gain yours, who who is happy to share with you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, who is willing to give of the reward of his righteousness, of his death, of his resurrection, because he is good, and he does good. And he delights simply to give because he enjoys giving to you. But not to build your kingdom, not to build uh, your desires. We say, oh, yes, Jesus, you're the king. But I'm the great and powerful Oz behind the curtain, pulling all of the strings to get you to do what I want. And we don't do this intentionally. But it's so easy just to put ourselves up on the throne of our hearts and declare ourselves as victorious, to declare ourselves as worthy, to make demands of him. And then when he does not meet our demands to say, well, I have no need of you, crucify him. And we, as we're told in Hebrews, crucify once again the Lord of glory to our shame. He knows what you need. He knows that more than anything else, what we need is salvation from our sin. He knew as he entered on this donkey what would happen to him five days later. And every time somebody tried to stand in the way, he moved them aside. Jesus, at this point, is making a beeline to the cross. For what purpose? To secure his kingdom. Not as a king who is demanding and taxing, who who consumes and finds the greatest of the world's goods, like five hundred carat diamonds, but who rides a donkey, who willingly lays down his life, and who, upon reigning, seeks to give you every good thing when you seek first his kingdom. How do you seek first the kingdom? You serve the king. You serve the king. In your work you're a servant of the king. In your family, you're a servant of the king. In your church you're a servant of the king. In your spare time, you're a servant of the king. On Netflix and YouTube you're a servant of the king. When you talk to others you're a servant of the king. When you check your portfolio, you're a servant of the king. He will give us every good thing for all eternity. But we must seek his kingdom first. If you have trusted him, maybe it's worth asking, where do I set myself up as king? Where do I ask the king of kings to serve my kingdom? If you have not, I beg you today by repentance, by turning from your sin and turning to trust in him, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent us a king who is not like us, who who, though he is the creator of heaven and earth, Though he is the righteous judge, though he knows everything, including every bit of my sin, though he is worthy of worship and and I fail to worship often, and though his divine judgment is right and true and good, has given himself to die in my place, who is humble and thinks of others. An amazing reality that this is the King that you have given us—not the King that we expected. Certainly not the King that we deserved, but definitely the King in whom you delight. And because of him, and because of his death, and because his, of his resurrection, you delight in us as well. May we consider this week as we prepare ourselves to celebrate his death on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday, what it means to seek first his kingdom. A kingdom bought with blood, but not the blood of those whom he would put in subjection. A kingdom bought with his own blood. For our good. And we ask it all for his glory. Amen.